0: Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and uses the imaginary Airsatz coffee shop as its platform to bring you a conversation about a plethora of scintillating topics. We don't shy away from any issue that is plaguing our culture or the church today, whether it's current cultural issues, questions about Bible verses, or even just some banter to encourage you. Dr. Jay Christensen is the Truth Barista and he and amazing Larry Kutzler brew up highly caffeinated conversations for our day. Grab a cup of joe, pop yourself down in the booth next to us, and get ready to think. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry, and it's listener supported. For more information about The Truth Barista, go to highbeamministry.com. Thanks for listening.
1: Pride is so dangerous because it's not an obvious sin. When someone commits adultery, that's pretty clear cut. When someone commits murder, yep, we see that, but pride? was it pride or was it not pride? I can't really tell. And we don't think other people will notice. Is there a pride in my life that you're beginning to see? Just by asking that question takes humility. It takes humility to open yourself up to another person to ask that kind of question. But I am telling you, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. He helps the humble
2: someone has said silence in the face of evil is itself evil one of the criticisms of the modern church is that it is too silent on issues it needs to speak out about some in the modern church are afraid to speak against the cultural evils of our day due to the reprisals that could happen here on this podcast there is no fear we tell the truth without compromise and without regrets
1: Dr. J, I'm ready for today's discussion and commentary and uh, conversation. In fact, listen to this. Ooh, that sounds like coffee slurping. Oh to me. my goodness, I have one of those special blends that you brew here in the coffee house, and so I'm ready to go. And, here we uh,
2: are in the uh, imaginary airsets coffee shop drinking our real coffee cuz <laughs> I have mine right here. Listen up. Mm, Mmm, that's good coffee. (laughs) Actually, I do like good coffee. My favorite lately has been Americanos. Man, I've been almost mainlining those bad boys. I haven't slept in about three weeks, but, you know, they're great cups of coffee. Isn't it funny how really,
1: you know, I mean, I don't want to get into this because I love coffee in the morning, only in the morning. But it is a drug, right? I mean, right? I mean, (laughs) are we willing to be 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 Behind
2: me, Satan.
1: (laughs) Well, anyway. <laughs> so where are we going today we're going to talk about this little itsy bitsy book in the Old Testament called Obadiah I love right. this little book and it's uh, it is. it's it's it is a great book and a, and the theme basically the overarching theme is pride, correct?
2: That is. That is the theme. It is the small book with the big message. And that's what we're getting into. In fact, it's such a big message. We had to put in two sessions of background in order for people to understand what's going on here. So I'm gonna complete this quick and then I'll give you a synopsis where I see the problem going on that Obadiah is addressing. Are you ready? I am. Okay? Yep. Okay. Gird up your loins for we're going in. Okay, so here we are. Okay, it's basically, you're talking about the relationship between brothers. Abraham and Sarah had Ishmael and Isaac, and then Isaac married Rebekah, and Isaac and Rebekah had Esau and Jacob. Jacob would later be renamed by God Yisrael or Israel. And the situation that we covered in the last couple weeks was, at one point... Well, let's put it this way. The birthright and the blessing belongs to the firstborn. Ishmael was a firstborn. Isaac was a secondborn. But Abraham skipped Ishmael and gave the birthright and the blessing to Isaac. So now we're looking at it more in detail. You have Isaac and Rebekah. They have twins. God says these boys are going to fight between themselves, which means their descendants will fight between them. Okay, And the birthright and the blessing then skips from Isaac's son, Esau, to the secondborn, Jacob. And I'll tell you why that's important in a bit. So we talked about how Esau came in from the field as a young man. He's hungry. We think it's a young man. He's hungry. Jacob has some soup. He says, I'll trade you the birthright, the rulership of the family for the soup. Jacob sees aha an opportunity and he takes it and now because of what that transaction God took him seriously so now the birthright belongs to the second born which is by the way perfectly fine a father or God can move the birthright from the first to the second now later on Isaac believes he's going to die soon he's blind nearly well pretty completely blind he can hear kind of and he's he's having some issues you know the old age Mm -hmm. issues you know you know how that goes (laughs) yeah
1: i can't see can't hear can't walk can't taste
2: can't smell wow (laughs) Uh, yeah the joys of getting older anyway so he tells esau go out go hunt some game bring it back make me a big feast and i'll give you the blessing in the meantime, Rebecca finds out that this is what's going to happen, so she disguises Jacob as Esau by covering him with a bunch of hairy garments. <laughs> it's like, how hairy was Esau? <laughs> anyway, it's all these hairy garments, cooks up a mess of food just like her husband likes it, and puts it in Jacob's hand and sends him packing into the, into the living room there, into the tent. And, and Isaac takes the food and goes, hmm, that's some good food. And, hmm. Sure smells like my boy. Doesn't sound like him, though, but we'll go with what I'm sensing. See, here's the issue in this little matter. Isaac judged with his senses. He didn't judge with his spirit. Mm. See, and that's the problem we all get into. So anyway, he gives the blessing to the son who has the birthright the second-born son. Jacob hightails it out of there. Esau comes back, prepares everything as usual, finds out his father has already given the blessing to the kid with the birthright that he sold the birthright to, and now he's grieving. And here we pick it up in Genesis, where Esau says to his father, quote, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. And then his father Isaac answered him, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land, away from the dew of the sky above, which means his future territory is going to be in a very arid or desert terrain. Keep that in mind you will live by your sword in other words he's going to be a man in conflict with his brothers just like it was prophesied over his uncle ishmael ishmael was going to fight amongst his brothers were going to fight amongst themselves so really that side of abraham's family the ishmael esau side are going to be in conflict with each other and those around them okay moving on you will live by your sword and you will serve your brother okay so this is something esau didn't want to hear he's going to wind up serving this Not of a second-born brother, Jacob, and you just know that's going to grind him to no end. Okay, however, this is what Isaac says, but when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. In other words, you're going to throw off his authority, and you're going to be a free people. By the way, this goes directly to what's going on in Obadiah. So, and Jacob's family went to live in the promised land after Joshua took it. Esau's clan settled south of the Dead Sea. Now, this is where everybody who's hearing this needs to get a map. Go to the book of maps in your Bible. That's that last book, follows Revelation. Go to the map and you see the Dead Sea. The area below that, that is the kingdom of Edom. You got it? Okay, good. When Israel came out of Egypt, oh, let me set this up. The Edomites were south of the Dead Sea. The Ishmaelites were on the east side of the Dead Sea. So when Israel came out of Egypt and were going to enter the Promised Land, Moses had to squeak them between the two kingdoms, Esau and Ishmael. So you can tell that maybe the Israelites were just a little nervous. So they had to squeak between those two nations now, Edom and the Ishmaelites, and they had to then squeak to the top of the Dead Sea where Moab was, and that's where they began their conquering of the land, and you know the rest of the book is written there. Okay, so Edom is situated next to their relatives, the Ishmaelites. So, this is the issue that's at play in the book of Obadiah. This is a family squabble over what God chose and ordained to happen. you get that? Mm-hmm. It's a family squabble over what God chose and ordained. Again, Abraham bypassed the Ishmaelites, Ishmael, and gave his blessing and birthright the covenant to Isaac. Isaac bypassed Esau and gave the birthright and the blessing, unbeknownst to him, to Jacob. So here's the key. The Ishmaelites reject the father. Ishmael would reject and refuse Abraham because Abraham had to let him go because he didn't want any competition for the covenant in Isaac. Esau rejects the son who holds the birthright and the blessing that would be jacob and we later see that he rejects the family as a whole by marrying outside the family so here's the dynamic the ishmaelites reject the father esau rejects the son and the family ishmael are the ancestors of islam one of islam's tenets is that there is no God but Allah, an alternate father, and Allah has no son. So you can see that what was happening back here in these ancient times, it is now currently the issue between Islam and Judeo-Christianity.
1: Well, and I think most people have, or a lot of families have, tensions like, Somewhat what we're talking about, right? I mean, there is always some kind of twist and turn of somebody in the family that's just gone off the rails. So most of us can understand how this tension can be so intense and so real that it affects all of the family relationships. And that's what's happened here, right? The Arabs and the Jews. yeah.
2: Yeah, and that's what we're seeing today the, the fight between the Arabs and the Jews. Now, let me put more of a point on this one here. God's choice was to give the covenant through Isaac and Jacob, not Ishmael and Esau. Now, if you look at the birthright and the blessings, that's rulership over the family and control over the resources. You follow me? I okay, do. I see you're yep. shaking your head. Very mm-hmm. good. So, in other words, the fight between Islam today and the Arabs today. And Judeo-Christianity and Israel, the land of Israel today, is a fight on who's going to rule the area and control the resources. See? Explains a lot, doesn't it? It
1: does, yeah.
2: Okay, so the battle comes down to Islam and the Arabs on one side saying the rulership and the material resource, all the stuff of this material realm belongs to us versus Judeo-Christianity, which says we belong to God. Hmm. See, so there's the dichotomy. That's the dynamic that's in play here. Okay. Any last questions before we get into the book?
1: I, I have no questions. I love the history because, and, it, and the history was important, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Because Obadiah is referring to it. And in order to understand what Obadiah is saying in his little book with a great message, he had to go back to the beginning, which is often the case in much of Scripture, Right. Right. Often, even Jesus goes back to Isaiah and some of the prophets when he's explaining a truth to uh, his disciples or his, uh, you know, the audience in his day. So that's right. that's
2: normal. And the problem that's being generated here is as a firstborn, there's a level of pride involved. I'm the firstborn. I get the birthright. I get the blessing. And as you and I had talked about last week, the middle letter in both pride and sin is I. So Esau had an I problem. He couldn't see his way clear to God's plan through all of this. And instead, he's focused on the material and what's owed him because he is the firstborn. (laughs) well this pride wells up and this is exactly what obadiah is addressing this is what pride caused you to do esau edomites and this is what pride's result is going to be and as we know from scripture pride goeth before the fall in other words pride leads people to fall Mm -hmm. in life Mm -hmm. so the book of Obadiah is really fantastic. Go to Bibleproject.com, Bibleproject.com. They have a wonderful map that outlines this. It's a cartoon that summarizes the book. And that's what I'm drawing on right now. They do fantastic work. Basically, the book is cut into two parts, amazing, Larry. Verses 1 through 14 are the accusations against Edom, and verses 16 through 21. Are the day of the Lord and all nations, which is interesting because over time, the Jews began to look as Edom not as a side of the family, but as a part of the family that left the family and joined the nations. And so at the end of the age, before Jesus comes back, Pride will arise among the nations, and they're going to try for the holy land. They're going to try for the resources they want. It's the Gentile nations of the world, epitomized by Edom, that are going to try to resist the father and the son and reject the family so that we can have all of God gives without the responsibility to God.
1: Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. J., but doesn't Zechariah say all the nations of the world will come against Israel at one point? All the nations. (laughs) There wasn't any exclusion. All means all. So it'll be really interesting as that prophecy is fulfilled that she will stand alone, but Israel never stands alone, right? God is always there with her.
2: Right. Now, as to the all thing, that could mean every single nation on earth. But I like what uh, Joel Richardson points out. Sometimes in Scripture, all refers to the area in which they live. So when he says all the world was following this and such, it meant everything in the Middle East. So it could be that, but I'll let you know when we get there. I I hear you. The warning for us is... We need to stand and support Israel. She's not perfect. She doesn't always walk with God. In fact, she resists God, as we see through the scripture. Mm -hmm. But God still has a plan going through the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And as Christians, we need to support them. Even if we happen to be the loving opposition at times, we still need to support them. Why? Because God does. All right. So, here we go this is now what happens israel's in the promised land they're not following god faithfully so we're going up through joshua judges ruth first and second samuel and into kings and chronicles and through all of that history you see israel going back and forth with god they're faithful to the covenant they reject the covenant they repent and come back to the covenant and then they reject it and back and forth and back and forth finally god says you know you're double-minded He splits the land into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. Because of disobedience, the Assyrians come in and they exile, they conquer and exile the northern kingdom. And then not too long after that, in 586, God raises up Nebuchadnezzar from Iraq, as we know it today. He marches through, takes control of all the earth, meaning the Middle East, and he attacks Judah as God's instrument of punishment against the israelites for forsaking the covenant that god gave them and they wound up taking in a sense the birthright and the blessing from the israelites for a time being by taking the israelites to babylon so here's the situation okay in 586 bc nebuchadnezzar and the babylonians attack and crush the remnant of the nation of israel which would be the southern kingdom of judah they destroyed jerusalem and the temple, and exiled most of the people to Babylon. This, by the way, would include Ezekiel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, names that you know of, right? Mm -hmm. When bad things came to Israel during the time of the Babylonian attack and exile, how would you have expected the feuding side of the family, specifically the Esauites or the Edomites, to react to this?
1: Well, I think they were thinking, finally, we got justification, or we've got, you know, somebody is looking out for us.
2: (laughs) Yes, sadly, that's the bad side. Now, in some families, it says blood is thicker than water, so even if you're feuding... They would come together and say, hey, hey, you know, you attack this side of the family, you're attacking the whole family, you know, like you see in the, you know, the mafia (laughs) and those Italians. I got some Italians on my side of the family. Mm -hmm. Family is very important. Mm -hmm. You look at the Jewish community. They have may may have fights amongst themselves, but when the nations have attacked Israel, the Jews have bonded together and as a family have resisted these attacks. Well, you would expect this from the Edomites, but they don't. You're right. They took the side of the Babylonians. This is what Obad obadiah's prophecy is about in a sense obadiah looks at esau and says because of your pride and your hatred against your family you abused the people that you should have stood with your family and in turn you handed them over to their enemies and you even kicked them and abused them because you thought with them out of the way the birthright and the blessing comes back to you Mm, very good And then God stands up and says, through Obadiah, because of that, you will be crushed. Mm. That is the big message in the book of Obadiah. So, shall we look at the text? Of course we should. So, as we go through Obadiah 1 through 21, we're going to answer the following. What does it say? What does it mean? And we'll answer the questions why and how, and I'll quiz you as we go. Okay? By the way, there's a Hebrew pun in this book, because the word for Edom in Hebrew is made of three consonants: the aleph, the dalit, and the mem, which is an a. It's a placeholder because it basically it stands for an a, but it takes the vowel sound or whatever vowel is attached to it. The dalit, which is a d, and an mem, which is an m. So you spell Edom: aleph, dalit, mem, a d m. By the way, you also Spell the word for humanity, Adam or Adam, Mm. Aleph. Dalit Mem. So, in a sense, while Obadiah is talking to Edom, he's talking to all of humanity. Mm. Isn't that cool? That
1: is, a, that is neat. Wow. You wouldn't know that if you didn't know Hebrew, though, right? I right.
2: Mean, and I'm, I'm by no means a huge Hebrew scholar, but you start looking at stuff in the text and go, aha! There's something here. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. okay. Aha! Uh-huh. I like that. Aha! Uh-huh. Aha! Uh-huh. So, we're looking for the aha uh-huh moments here. So, verse 1. This is what the Lord God has said about Edom. Okay, what does this saying mean? It means the Lord himself is speaking to them. This is not Obadiah. This is God, and he is addressing Edom directly. Now in the rest of verse 1, We have heard a message from the Lord. A messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us go to war against her. In other words, the her is Edom, because we often refer to nations as a she, right? So what does this say? What does it mean? Among the nations, meaning this is a word to Edom, but it also speaks to the nations surrounding Israel. Remember, Edom, Adam. Mm -hmm. So this is God's call to go to war against Edom. So the nations, Adam, will attack Edom. Edom. So once again, there's infighting amongst the brothers, so to speak. Okay, so now here here we go. Verse 2, Edom's approaching downfall. Look, I will make you insignificant among the nations. You will be deeply despised. Verse 3, your presumptuous heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your home on the heights, who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you seem to soar, in other words, they built high in the mountains, like an eagle, and make your nest amongst the stars, Even from there I will bring you down, thus says the Lord. Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade?
1: I did. I saw even the recent movie that's out. But yes, I've seen all the Indiana Jones movies.
2: Okay. In that third movie, do you remember when Indiana Jones and his crew go through this valley? It's it's kind of like going between these two cliffs. Yes. And it opens up into this wide scene. And you see this huge cliff face that's been carved into what looks like an ornate building. You remember that? I do. I was going to say, isn't that Petra? That is called Petra, right, rock. This was the capital of the Nabataean kingdom. They were related to the Edomites. So in a sense, when God is saying in this particular verse that you have made your home in the cleft of the rock, you can see that this is what the Nabataeans did. They built their home in the clefts of the rock. It talks about Edom living in high places. And as you know, high places are strategic places to live. Because it's very difficult for an enemy to get you. Yes, sir.
1: Well, I always thought symbolically the high places, now this is just my interpretation, are places of, like the high places of education, the high places of wealth, because it's hard to pull down places of influence like that in our world. So in a sense, God says, hey, I don't care how much education you have, how much wealth or influence you have, I will level the playing field someday. So anyway, that's just a a side note, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Go ahead.
2: Well, and, and that's excellent because high places are strategic places from which one rules. They're places of power. They're places of strategy they're places where enemies can't easily reach you you're out of reach so to speak well obadiah is pulling all this language in right here and it all reflects edom's pride oh you built on a high place you built on a rock you just think you're up there among the stars you think you're soaring like the eagles well that's your pride getting ahead of you there so relatively speaking in verse two edom is a small kingdom. So, by the way, this isn't addressing their size and their impact. They have more of an inflated self-importance, as the New King James Version Study Bible says. Once again, where did they get this? Esau. Esau's ego. This is a firstborn attitude. But what God's going to do, he says in verse 2, I'm going to take you down a few pegs, just like you said, level the playing field. In verse 3, what's the evidence of their cockiness? Their location. Their location was not just arid desert, but it was up in the hills and the mountains surrounding that. Some peaks reached 6,000 feet, sir. Hmm. while Jerusalem was 2,300 feet above sea level. And Edom's capital, Selah, S-E-L-A, was hemmed in by mountains on all sides. So it could also, as we said, be referred to Petra, the rock city nestled in the canyons as well. So their physical height, in a sense, is a picture of their attitudinal height, the the height of their attitude, which is what? Pride. Mm -hmm. In other words, you're getting the sense that Edom is saying to God and to everybody around us, Yeah, who can reach us? (laughs) We're untouchable, right? They presumed they were safe and secure. Verse 4, though they presumed to be out of man's reach, they weren't beyond God's reach. And reach them, he will. They're taking, and here's a big point, they're taking pride in their secure location. Pride in their secure location. In verse 5, Obadiah moves on and says, okay, you're going to be stripped of your wealth. Verse 5, if thieves came to you, if marauders by night, how ravaged you would be. Wouldn't they steal only what they wanted? And it's a rhetorical question. Yeah, thieves only take what they want. He goes on, if grape pickers came to you, wouldn't they leave some grapes? Well, yeah, that's what harvesters do. But here it is. Verse 6, how Esau will be pillaged. His hidden treasures searched out. In other words, when thieves and harvesters work, they usually leave something behind either through speed or carelessness, or they just, you know, whatever, okay? Nope. God is going to use the nations to pick Edom clean of their wealth in which they pride themselves. Even if it's hidden wealth, the nations are going to come in and absolutely just decimate them. They would have been, as the New King James Version Study Bible says, they would have been better off if thieves and robbers had come because the nation is now going to be systematically pillaged. This attacks not the pride in their location, but the pride in their wealth. Now, I can see that we're running out of time and we have to go back and make some more fake coffee and fake meals for our fake cafe here, the Erzatz Coffee Shop. Do you have any final words before you move on? Well,
1: I just think it's a great warning for anybody that's in government or in a place of authority because Rome was pretty high and thought they couldn't be destroyed. America probably has that same attitude. If we're opposing God. God's ways and and truth. I mean, we could also be subject to being under his scrutiny and brought down from the heights as he states to Edom.
2: That's a fantastic insight. And let's talk about that when we get done with Obadiah, because that's really what I want to explore. How much of this applies to us as the
0: United States today. The Truth Barista is listener supported and depends on the faithful gifts of people like you. The Truth Barista values the truth, so our conversations will always evaluate how truth impacts what we see or hear in our culture. To learn more about the Truth Barista, go to HighBeamMinistry.com. Do you want the truth today? Dr. Jay Christensen is the Truth Barista and the founder of High Beam Ministry is a creative person who wants to use the setting of an imaginary cafe to produce a series of radio and internet programs that confront the issues of our day through the lens of the Bible. The Truth Barista was the avenue that was developed to communicate truth using the Bible as the source of our information. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and can be found online at highbeamministry.com.